Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I am Renato Beninato. And I'm Michael Stevens. And today we're going to talk about, am I going to have a job tomorrow? That's really relevant considering we're sitting in Monterey at our annual business meeting with a bunch of co-workers. We're actually recording in front of a live studio audience, Renato. So this actually makes me a little nervous, the fact that we're talking about whether we're going to have jobs tomorrow. You don't seem to care. I don't care because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. The reality is that this is a question that is part of the challenge of a transition society. We're in an environment where everything is changing. The notion of a job, of a function, is changing. A translator 100 years ago is very different from what a translator was 35 years ago when I started. It's different from what a translation is today and what a translation is going to be in 10 years. So you jumped in to the deep end very quickly. You say a transition society. What do you mean by that? I feel that, but I'm not sure what you mean. Change is happening at a speed that is unprecedented. We talk about, in the language industry, about the increasing volumes. We talk about the speed of content. We talk about the explosion of content, number of languages, number of formats. Everything has become bigger and more complex. And we still think of jobs in terms of a paycheck. What caused this change? Well, technology. Okay. Access to information, the internet. Okay. And the processing power of technology. So you're one of those people who says that the internet is the printing press. Absolutely. Or Henry Ford's manufacturing methods. Absolutely. But the internet does what those events did over 100 years, over 50 years, over 10 years, every day. It happens every day. So when we talk about tomorrow, and there is this concept of singularity, when you won't know anymore when the knowledge or the information is coming from a human or a computer, and that all will be blended. Kurzweil, who is the, the guy who talks about singularity, claims that we will achieve singularity in language, in translation, by 2019. So your question, theoretically, by 2019, nobody will have a job in translation. Yeah, we've been talking for two and a half minutes, and you've already gotten us to singularity. That is intense. And that's a reflection of something that people refer to as Moore's Law. Right, this idea that, what is the chip? The Moore's Law is that the speed of processing doubles every 18 months. Every or 18 months. Like and actually, I think the latest research is saying that Moore's Law is obsolete because it's faster. Exactly, than much faster. Months. And so our podcast is reflecting that fact that we're already at singularity two minutes into the this is, podcast. This is the beginning of the conversation is when I said that everything is changing. 
Moore's law is being challenged, six degrees of separation because of Facebook is now three and a half degrees of separation. So you can connect any two people in the world through three connectors. So this affects people's work. And when we're looking at our industry, when we're looking at the people who are affected by it, we're talking about a few groups of people. We're talking about translators. We're talking about translators, but the language business is not only about translation. Okay. Right? We work at a company, Moravia, that has 1,500 employees. I don't know how many, but I would bet that we have under 100 translators employed in the company. What are all these people at our company doing then? I thought... I mean, I'm only in sales, but... Not everybody is so insignificant as you are. (laughs) So people have actually... They work. Oh, yeah, that's right. Right. So there are some people that manage processes. There are people that manage people. There are people that manage finances. There are people that manage infrastructure, technology, files, converting formats uh, from one source to another, doing machine translation. One of the things that is key when we talk about the future is that the functions will exist. How we process those functions is what is going to change. What do you mean by functions? The function of converting content from one language to another. Okay. It doesn't need to be done by a person 100% of the time. You might need a person to push the button and make that happen. You might need a person to check. So the standard human productivity per day is 2,500 words. If I were to do 2,500 words a day for translation, I would starve (laughs) because the price of translation is not that high and I couldn't maintain the lifestyle that I have today. I made more money 10 years ago than I make today if I were living as a translator. So what I'm hearing, translators are making less money. No, I didn't say that. If their productivity stayed the same, I made a presentation, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, where I said that in the future, translators were going to be doing 30,000 words a day because they would use technology to improve their productivity. And I thought I was being futuristic and visionary and people in the audience said, you're crazy, Renato. They told you they're already doing that. No, it was worse. The next day, SDL did a a mass mailing with a testimonial from a very well-known translator saying that thanks to the SDL translation memory technology, she was doing 30,000 words a day. And I said, I said that this was going to happen 10 years from now. (laughs) And it happened the next day. I don't even know what Moore's Law really means, but I think that's Moore's Law. I think the encouragement and, and most of us are... I'm in that Gen X phase, right? So I grew up with the internet coming around me. But are you scared? So I transitioned. No, I like the internet. No, no, no. Are you scared that you're not going to have a job tomorrow? Personally? No, because I I want the machines to work for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all going to be like... Yeah, yeah. uh, I want to be in Hawaii. Wally. Somewhere. Exactly. We're up up getting fat on a a spaceship. With a big screen in front of us. Exactly. Exactly. Drinking our slushies. Yeah. Forget about the vegetarians and the vegetables. You guys saw Wally, right? Like, I mean... The challenge for us here, uh, Michael, is that we tend to think about the future based on our current reality. And everything changed. I mean, the car that I drive today consumes a lot less gas than the car that I drove right. many years but ago. But less gas is different than Taos in February putting out a blog post that says the future does not need translators. 
for French, Italian, German, Chinese, and those Ooh. languages. Now we're, now we're getting into interesting stuff because it's not all of a sudden the Western world and those markets that are so established can be done by machine. No, it's that the demand changes. You, you see, price and all these things are, are based on supply and demand and scarcity. You have a lot of translators for Spanish and Chinese. I mean, it's hard to differentiate in that market. Right. We are in a business where language doesn't matter, right? I say that translation is like toilet paper. It's only important when it's not there, right? <laughs> so we don't know how much toilet paper costs. We use it every day, I assume, but you don't know how much it costs. In some parts of the world, there's lots of toilet paper, and in other parts, there's none. Exactly. So where is toilet paper going to have the most value? I don't know. In Japan, it's not that important. They have fantastic okay, yeah, toilets We were there. just there last week. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Michael, you tell me, what do you think is going to happen? I actually happen to agree. There's still going to be a need for translators. I, I believe that in my heart of hearts, probably from here until eternity, whatever that means. Yet, these places where we have most of the translators in the world, they're not going to continue to do the same work because we will have the ability to have machines cover a part of what they do. Now, if I were a translator today, that, that, that's not my background, that's not where I come from. I came from the business angle into our industry. But if I were a translator today, I would be thinking about how to coach people in markets that are developing markets right now for places in the world that actually don't have a translation industry infrastructure, translation as a trade. That's wrong. Let me tell you. <laughs> it's wrong because today knowledge is collective. So it's the, the famous story about Africa bypassing the landlines. They went straight from no phone to cell phone. It's like bypassing computers. This whole generation that never had a computer before, they go straight to tablets and smartphones. So there is not anymore this concept that there are areas of the world that are behind and other areas that are advanced. We're all at the same level. I think that the key point that you need to keep in mind is that what is important is not the end product, it's the process. There's always going to be need for somebody to manage this demand for converting content from one language to another if we don't want to use translation. There's always going to be a need for somebody to receive a file or to press a button, making decisions. We're talking about different roles. So if we want to get into the LSP world, I'm in full agreement with you. But translators, there are major gaps that we have currently in, trans in, in being able to recruit talented translators. If I want to get a Chinese to Hindi translator, that's not an easy request. Everything is English-centric. Yes. So we have this huge gap in our industry right but, now, but, but wait a which, which is Let not historical. No, 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 no. It's not historical. It is historical. It is not. Because, because in Europe, there was a tradition ago. There was a tradition of French to German, of French to Spanish, yes. of all these languages. And as localization, translation has spread around the world, we've lost that part of our tradition. So but new markets, matters. if you have a Chinese business no. person who wants to open a hotel in India, they have trouble. They're going to English yes. to get to Hindi. But it's a historical perspective. If it were 150 years ago, they would go to French. If it was 1,000 years ago, they would go to Latin. So the power at the time, the economic power of the historical period that you're in is going to have the dominating language. Mm. Maybe... 
50 years from now, 100 years from now, it's going to be Chinese. There is a great book called The Next 100 Years that does some forecasting of what is going to happen in the next 100 years geopolitically. And they claim that the United States is going to be the dominant power still for, for 100 years. But we will all swear in Chinese because I have seen the TV show Firefly. <laughs> and they all, they, they speak in English, but when they actually say cuss words, they say them in Chinese. Oh, that's so, the funny thing. I, I haven't been to Israel, but I heard that uh, Hebrew is, because it's a sacred language, they don't have curse words, so they curse in Arabic. <laughs> yeah, but the one gap we have is everything is English-centric. The second gap we have is the long tail. I hear you saying we're all on an equal playing field, but... I go back, I, I just mentioned this in a blog post I wrote last week, that Irisaurus, when she was speaking at uh, Loke World Berlin, she said, let's divide the room into one third over here and two thirds here. And imagine that this one third were the only third that spoke in English. Would this give them an advantage in business? Think about the implications that has, that there are markets, there are people, there are, there are people groups that have absolutely no access to internet which means no access to education, no access to retail, limited access to those things. And there's opportunity to actually continue this craft from the beginning of time that we've had of translation into these places. It's not a level playing field. Well, but it doesn't matter, really. Why? Because they don't have money? No, it's not a matter of money. We're, we're not talking about the economic details. We're talking at a conceptual level. Transformations will happen. People will not starve. New jobs will be created. They will involve language. It's going to be the, the post editor. It's going to be the information architect. It's, there's going to be another name. But the functions will still be done. So in my research, in wondering, because we've talked a bit about translators, I've also heard uh, from people who work for corporations, and they've said that while at the rate that LSPs are doing their job, their departments are going to be put out of business. So I've actually heard from people who are a project manager at Corporation X, I'm concerned about my job because of how good LSPs are becoming. How long have you heard this concern? Exactly. As every business, our business goes in cycles. So there is a centralization cycle, then there is a decentralization cycle, there is a diversification cycle, there is a, a standardization cycle, and it's like waves, right? So all of a sudden, everybody's interested. Now we're in a wave of single sourcing, where large companies have decided that working with three or four vendors is not as good as working with one vendor only. It's great when we are winning. It's awful when we're losing. But it's a reality. But I bet that as soon as this generation of executives moves on and we change the leadership in the localization organization, there's going to be someone that comes and says, oh my God, this is so much risk. Why are we putting all our eggs in one basket? Their service is crap. And you start having, again, this wave of two vendors, three vendors, four vendors. So everything, as everything in life, goes in cycles. You've heard this story before. I've heard this story before several times because I've started in this business very young. I was 23 years old when I started my company. And over time, in 35 years, you can see several cycles. I see cycles of consolidation in the industry. It's about every seven years there is a movement of 
companies buying other companies, and then there is a lull, and then it comes back again. So there's a, a pricing cycle. There is a, a moment when you have scarcity of translators and huge demand, and prices go up, and then there is a moment when everybody's cost-conscious, there is a crisis, there is a recession, and people start focusing on price again. So that's the beauty of the business. If it was always the same or if it was always growing, it would be boring. Mm-hmm. For some, depends on what role you have. Yeah. If you're a salesperson, if it's always growing, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Okay. So let's play a little game. Uh huh. On Business Insider, I found the story the probability that robots will take your job in the next 20 years. What do you think is the top job that will be taken by robots in the next 20 years? Taxi driver. Taxi driver. It's not even on the list. Well, with the driverless car. I completely agree with you that it should be on this list. Actually, commercial pilots Uh are probably number, and I'm looking at the, it's probably eight or so, but taxi cab drivers are not even on the list. This list is already outdated. There you go. But cleaning, I think, hasn't cleaning, (laughs) cleaning has already been eliminated, right? Because we have Roomba in the robots, but... Okay, but guess what number one is? I think it's already been eliminated. In- teachers. No, teachers are not on here. Telemarketers huh. is number one. Yeah, yeah. We're in election season here in the U.S., and the number of robocalls that I get on a regular basis, so that, that seems yeah. like... And also the, the whole concept of years. call center, because I, I call American Airlines and I talk to a robot most of the time. Number two, the original major that i was in college can you guess what that is priest no 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 that that was later i i chose or that chose me as they say accountants and auditors oh we like that that's number two get rid of those folks number three for those of you who like to shop retail salespeople because eventually you'll just be able to walk in and say hey i'm looking for a blue dress or a nice necklace or bracelet Number four, and I think this one begins to start to hit home for us, that would be technical writers. So uh-huh. if we start thinking about technical writers, we start thinking about that world, it's a, it's a little... Well, if you think about technical writers, the beauty of this concept is that today you have robots that can write an article that you couldn't tell if it was a human or a robot based on the data of a sports game. Yeah, you've seen the story about the baseball scores. Yes, they look at the scores, they look at the details, the who scored what. So there's a tradition in America of scoring a baseball game. It's something that I've never learned, but you actually get a special sheet of paper and you go through and you have special shorthand that you use, as you say, in the seventh inning, the number seven batter hit a double and he advanced it's like the runner. Bowling. It's it's well <laughs> you mean it's boring? <laughs> that's why that it's a, that's why it's a drinking sport. So you have this elaborate scoring system and what people have been able to do is they score a baseball game and then they input that into a computer which then actually outputs the news article. So their papers all over the US at this moment that their sports section has blurbs on the summary of the baseball game and it has Absolutely no human to ever touch the summary. But you can do that with basketball. You can do that with Everyone. soccer, any, any sport. Yeah. Right. It's fascinating. It's like, fascinating. And, and I discovered this after I had been reading these and, and the sports is, reports. You know, and we have smart people at our company that know very well about this computational linguistics things. And so what prevents that content to be 
immediately written in 70 languages because the idea is the same. You get the rules, you get the words, and you create an immediate content right. So the next one I'll mention is that real estate agents okay. we will no longer need them. I love my real estate agent, but I think we're over. They don't create much value. You can yeah. sort of do the comps, and that's yeah. pretty easy. The only thing is that there is an element of bureaucracy, of government regulation that makes them in a way necessary. You need an inspection, you need this, you need that, and you need to coordinate that whole dance, it, right? It but it could be automated. In some markets, it is absolutely controlled. You, you had an apartment in Bruneau. Yes. Czech Republic. Yes. And was it a government flat? Like, I, I actually have no idea how that works. No, so I'm no, making it was up a friend. A I mean, but, but it's a highly regulated part of the society, unlike the U.S., where you pretty much are dealing with owners. and. No, but I, I think it's more regulated in the U.S. Oh. When you're buying a house, it's essentially you have all this paperwork, which is literally probably one meter or three feet tall that you need to sign and disclose and promise and whatever. That's the only part, and, and, and that's one of the things. So if you want to save your job, okay, put a lot of regulation around it. Ah. That's a way. Buy a politician and make sure that it is regulated, that you require certificates and authorizations and so we're disclaimers. In, we're in trouble in localization because we're unregulated. Absolutely, and that's the beauty of this business. It is, but it's also the danger because we're not protected from innovation But you see, there is a big discussion going on in Brazil, my home country. There is a minister that wants to eliminate the need for sworn translators. The profession of a sworn translator, which is a person that has... The church is that powerful? A minister? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) A governmental minister. A governmental minister. A secretary (laughs) in the United States. A secretary of state. So what they're trying to do is they, they want to eliminate a law that was passed in 1950 that says that a person to issue official translations needs to pass a test that happens every 20 years and he gets an authorization a delegation from the president of the country to sign translations and their translations are official this has nothing to do with quality this has nothing to do with productivity it's just bureaucracy so there is this this program that is called a simpler brazil and they want to eliminate a lot of the bureaucracy that exists of course the sworn translators are going crazy oh my god but there are a bunch of freelance translators who are super excited about this no there aren't because they want to be oh they want to be sworn translators translators because they think that that part of the profession is protected no it's not brazil i was at a conference in iceland and there were two translators from denmark where the same phenomenon happened and they were complaining that now any translator can do the translation and they just need to go to a notary and there is a lot of bureaucracy and so on and then she showed a document from the time that the profession of a sworn translator was created in Denmark, and it dated back to the 1600s. So we're trying to protect in 2016 a profession that exists in 1600. What else do we do the That's same way? That's called job security. Yeah. So one of the websites I discovered, if you're concerned about your job security and you're listening to this podcast, we do have a section of notes on our website. If you can go to www.npr.org, 
Planet Money has an actual interactive site that says, will your job be done by a machine? And you can go through and actually put in the requirements of your job, and it will give you the percentage likelihood of whether your job will be done by a machine. I'm actually too scared to do this, so we'll just let our listeners go, and they can let us but know. But you see, the thing about just following blindly what the press says is dangerous, <laughs> because one of the you, – you mentioned Business Insider in the beginning yeah, of yeah. the conversation – they also put out a list of the fastest growing industries, the best jobs in the future. And Translator was there, number three or four. Well, so. Translator is not on the list of probability robots will take over your job in the next 20 years. So, yeah. um, uh, trans- because they've already taken over. So, <laughs> okay. So, Renato, let's give our final thoughts on this idea of will you have a job? I think that you will have a job if everybody has a job. And I think that... Wait, it's, you it's, qualified that. If everyone has a job? What yes, do you mean? Because on the Wally scenario, where nobody works, well, there, is, there is this whole discussion of providing a minimum income to people so that they don't need to have a job because the concept of the employment society will become obsolete. That's a possibility. I don't know if it is five years, if it is 10 years, if it is 20 years. But there's a difference between having a job and having work. I think that there will be work. I think that there will be need for the activities involved in the language business today in one shape or another. I think there's going to be sales, so don't be afraid. Oh, good. Good. uh, But it's not going to be the same way it is today because my job today looks nothing like it looked like 35 years ago. Yeah, and I I think my final thoughts are... I agree with you in the fact that I think our jobs are going to look different. I think leisure is important. I think we all need to have aspects of leisure in our life. But I think work is actually very closely connected in what it means to be a human being. So whether a specific job will exist 10 years from now, 10 months from now, I don't know. I'm not a futurist. I don't really care about making those bets. But I do think we will be working. And so I think if you're interested... No, that, that's, that's, right? No. No, you don't want to work? That's a very American puritanical idea. Oh my gosh, you, know, you just best, you just laid out my background, American Puritan. Yeah, exactly. So perfect. So, and I'm a Latin American <laughs> impuritan. So, what the biggest if you think historically, some of the greatest findings in history were done by people that never worked in their lives. The great chemical findings were noblemen in France or philosophers or people who didn't work for a living. So we're going to do a podcast on what it means to work because I think we might need to get to that point. But I I think there's a difference between philosophy and leisure. I think philosophy is very hard work. I think leisure is an activity where you learn to rest from your work. So I think we're going to continue to work. I think philosophers work. I think nurses, doctors. My biggest problem, Michael, is that I've been in business for many, many years, but I don't think I've worked a single day in my life because I love what I do. And that's not work. I get paid to do what I like. So how do you beat that? I think work is something that is embedded in creation that we actually are meant to love. And when we don't love it, it's broken. That's a job. That's a job. So we all work, but some of us have jobs. And so am I going to have a job tomorrow? I kind of hope not, but I have a lot of work to do. Okay. Okay. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.